Good morning. You've got more than money. You've got Gene Dickinson, your host, your personal financial advisor. Joining me in the studio, your co-host and personal financial advisor, extraordinaire Ms. Alyssa Young. Good morning. Um, you're really going to abandon your son? All right, we'll talk about that later. I, I'm so upset. Abandon just... is a very strong and inappropriate word for this. Well, I, you're half right. <laughs> it's very strong. That part is true. Good morning, and uh, hopefully you are rejoining us. Hopefully you're a loyal listener to More Than Money. If you're joining us for the very first time, we welcome you. That That's a very cool thing that you are doing. You're sharing part of your Saturday with us, and... Uh, we hope to make that worth your while, whatever part of the next couple of hours you can spend with us. We're going to answer tons of questions. Um, gosh, um, they late last night and early this morning, folks want to make sure they get in on the, and I'm, I should probably pull that out at some point, my <laughs> cell phone, that will be useful indeed. Uh, and of course, if you have questions of your own. We're going to give you three different ways that you can reach us this morning. Um, gorgeous day, especially from the inside looking out. It's a little cool, but it's still beautiful. It's supposed to be very windy today, just like it was yesterday. Seriously? Um, seriously. It didn't seem like it when I got out of my car, but the forecast is for 20 to 30 mile per hour winds with some gusts up to 50 miles per hour. Speaking of my son, he's going ice fishing today <laughs> north of uh, the Lehigh Valley, and I'm a little worried that um, he might get blown away. Do you think he could get blown away? Um, I think he he's pretty solid. Pretty solid. He's yeah. pretty solid. Yeah. And those ice fishing huts are generally weighted down. Okay, so he's, uh, is I'm he not in a hut? He's not in a tent. He's not in a because some of them just have like windbreaks. Mm, I don't know what it is. It's my brother-in-law's. Uh, oh, oh brother-in-law! Oh my god. His uncle. You don't think uh, he's safe with his oh, uncle? No, brothers-in-law are all suspect. They're, <laughs> every single one of them. Every one of them. <laughs> all right, actually, my brother-in-law is a pretty good guy. Of course, he's a police officer, so he kind of <laughs> has have, to. You have to say that. Kinda, well, yeah, well, that's true. That whole, hey, good to see you, by the way, strip search. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, that's those are two words, you, two phrases you don't want to put together, brother-in-law and strip search. Those mm -hmm. are not mm -hmm. where you want to go. Wow. This show took an awkward turn right away. <laughs> so welcome to More Than Money. If you have questions about investments, retirement, income taxes, 401ks, Roth IRAs, estate planning. Estate planning. Speaking of. Yeah, we got a special guest today. We do. At 9 o'clock, our estate planning attorney partner, mm -hmm. Keith Stroll, with the firm Steckel & Stop, will call into the show, and we're going to talk about wills. Um, powers of attorney and living wills. Who needs them? Why do you need them? And what things do you need to include or decide so that you know how to draft those documents? The basics, those things everybody needs to think about. Some folks are out there listening on basics. I got them. We're so far past that. Bet you're not. Bet you're not. Right. That's... I, bet, I, bet, I bet the average person doesn't know nearly as much as they think they know. And then it's remarkable. The statistic has stayed virtually frozen in time in the 780 years that I've been doing this. Wow. 70% of the folks that we bump into don't even have a will. 
right? Uh, what? Huh? That's why we're going back to basics. <laughs> Go back to basics. Yep. So if you have questions about uh, in- investments, income taxes, estate planning, or business, we invite you to join us, 610-720-7900, 610-720-7900. You'll talk to Mr. Sunshine, Mr. John Elliott. You'll talk to Alyssa. You'll talk to Gene, and we'll answer your questions as best we are able. If you have questions you'd like to email to us, Alyssa, A-L-Y-S-S-A, at askmtm.com, A-L-Y-S-S-A at askmtm.com, or Gene, G-E-N-E, at askmtm.com. And if you would like to share the show with folks that are further afield, they might not pick up the signal through the airwaves. We have, through the miracles of modern technology and iHeartMedia, coast-to-coast, north and south borders, anywhere you are, if you've got Internet access, you've got access to our show you go to our website, morethanmoneyonline.com, morethanmoneyonline.com. Hit the Listen Live button, which appears magically every Saturday morning at about 8 o'clock. Disappears right around 10 o'clock because, well, the, um, the show's over. I mean, it's, <laughs> the whole Listen Live concept kind of loses its steam once the show is over. Mm-hmm. But the show doesn't go away. We uh, post every single show. I think we're currently running, what, about a year's worth of shows on our website? Yeah. We used to have 11 years worth, and then it got a little scary because if you listen to the wrong show out of date, you would say, you know what the rule is for the IRA? You can put a maximum of $1,500 in. (laughs) What? (laughs) That was a show from 1957. (laughs) I mean, come on. So we want to make sure you have freshest possible information But we've got, gosh, 40 or 50 shows there that you can review. Just uh, check them out on our website, morethanmoneyonline.com. Anytime after um, Monday at around noon, uh, Megan will post those, and we're in good order. I think I've covered all the basics. I think so. 610-720-7900. Your calls are always our highest priority. Um, I want to go to an email that I got very early this morning. Uh, I don't know, gentlemen, young lady, I'm not sure. doesn't matter. Uh, the viewer says, I have a question about something discussed on your recent TV program about IRAs. Okay. A 10-year factor was mentioned that funds must be withdrawn within a 10-year time period. I was uncertain as to this requirement being applied only to inherited IRAs. You're nodding. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> if IRA funds are not inherited, is there a time? If IRA funds are not inherited, is there a time frame when funds must be totally withdrawn? You look perplexed. Well, I I am perplexed because if it's your own IRA, then the inherited IRA rules don't apply. Right. Is that what this? I think cra- this person doesn't know what the rules are for your own IRA. Oh, excellent. Okay, so let's start with the inherited IRA, 10-year rule. You inherit an IRA if you're not a spouse. Spouses have special dispensation. Uh-uh. If you're not a spouse, you have I know. Dis- a, dispensation. Uh, Pastor Brett, he'll use it. Um, <laughs> sorry, it just came out. This just popped right out. I just kind of... <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, what... <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, all right, we're I'm sorry. We're in I, deep I, trouble. I, I, <laughs> going to hell. He's going to hell. I mentioned the pastor. He's going to hell. Um, if you inherit an IRA, you're not a spouse. You Spouses get special dispensation. Thank you so much. Um, now you're in trouble too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to take all the money out by the end of the 10th year and pay taxes on it. But if it's your own IRA, you don't have to. What happens? You don't have to take it all out within a given time frame. However, once you are 72, if it's a traditional IRA, not a Roth IRA, you need to start taking out a minimum amount each year and pay taxes on it as you take that out. So that's called a required minimum distribution. It starts at age 72. The amount of that distribution is calculated annually based on the balance of your account and your age. And you don't need to take the entirety of the IRA out, but the IRS wants you to start depleting that account by that stated amount uh, each year so they can collect their tax money. That's that's the real reason they're yes. doing that? <laughs> Seriously? I, I think so. <laughs> we're, we're shocked to hear that. The IRS is- and they're, they're, they're not necessarily treating us fairly? Is that what you're saying? I might be suggesting that. I might be mm-hmm. That might be. I swore I had. Um, and if it is a Roth IRA, there are no required minimum distributions. And really, it's because there's no tax to be paid on it. So I guess the IRS doesn't care if you leave it in there because they're not going to make any, mo- any money off of it. Anyway, you already paid tax. That is absolutely true, <laughs> and, and which makes it all the more ironic that inherited Roth IRAs have to follow the 10-year rule. That is true, yeah. And we've had people go, why do they care? They care because you're taking it out of a eternally tax-free environment and bringing it back into the taxable environment. Ah, yeah. I could have sworn what are you that looking I for? printed off the new RMD rules, the RMD chart, um, if apparently I Is did. it in this? Oh, I, mean, I doubt it. Uh, um, it's I'm it was sure. a full page, okay. and it goes it runs it out to when people. Oh, here we go. The point I wanted to make was yes. If you have a standard IRA, you've got to take out a certain amount per year, right? Required minimum distribution, and the first year starts at roughly four percent. It's roughly. It's not exact. It's roughly four percent. But the required minimum distribution, people go, well, they're going to drain my account by the time I'm 80. Uh, Not exactly. Because it does rise. It rises slowly, but it rises. Um, But but the RMD actually goes out to age 115. Oh, are you going to live that long? (laughs) I think so. Um, I'm just annoying enough that I could. (laughs) I'm just, I absolutely, mm, yes. Zach thinks I'm going to live that long. Like he thinks. Well, why wouldn't you? You are you are in the top one tenth of one percent of the healthiest people (laughs) on the planet. You absolutely should. I don't know if I want to be one hundred and fifteen. We'll see. Um, But what what's the rate at that age? Um, The rate at that age is fifty percent. Oh, gee. Okay. Wow. (laughs) I didn't know that. That's. I got a hundred grand. Take out (laughs) fifty. By the way, uh, at the end of the year, you still have fifty, right? And from one fifteen. Uh, age 115, oh my God, and beyond, it's always 50%. So you'll never be at zero. Right. You'll never be at yeah, zero. That's 100 beautiful. becomes 50, becomes 25, 12, 5. It, you're always going to have something. Yeah. That's pretty cool. 
Speaking of always having something, we actually have an investment partner, a platform that we uh, um, are very happy to be part of uh, our investment options where you can invest your money, get a guaranteed lifetime income, and as long as you die with $1, they give the original investment amount back to your beneficiaries. Yeah. So, so you have a, a pick a number. You have four hundred thousand in your IRA, and they give you a, a, a again picking a number twenty thousand dollar guaranteed income, and you live forty years, and you you take eight hundred thousand dollars out, and when you cro- uh, pass away, uh, ascend to the next generation, assume room temperature, those kinds of things. As long as you have a dollar, your family gets 400000 bucks back. Yeah, that's a nice feature. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. 610-720-7900. Gene at AskMTM.com. Alyssa at AskMTM.com. Very good. Thank you so much. That Thank you for helping out on that sure. question. That was very, very useful. And then we got one very late last evening. Let's see. What this one was. These are the folks Gene was saying they cut in line. They <laughs> cut the line. You know, if you want to cut the line, 610-720-7900. Phone calls always take uh, the lead. But, okay, i just cut a guy a break here. Um, and then Maybe rotate And then don't the let me scroll. He's yeah, having trouble reading yeah, his phone. You're absolutely right. Rotate. Um, I've been told to rotate more than once. It's just kind of. Oh, that Come on. Technical difficulties. Um, do you want me to read it? Do you have to start taking Social Security if you want to take Medicare? Can you start taking Medicare but delay huh. taking your full Social Security? I know the answer to that. I think I know the answer to that. Yeah, give it a go. You can take Medicare before you take Social Security, right? You would just have to pay the premium directly instead of having it deducted from your Social Security benefit if you don't have one yet. So let me ask you a question. Okay. How confident are you that that's the right answer? Um, 85%. Nice. Good for you. <laughs> that's really good. Um, you are correct. So you should have been like 99.9. Okay. I didn't want to be overconfident. <clears throat> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa, a little reluctant to be correct. Oh, my gosh. So demure. Just a, <laughs> just a flower of a child. Okay. No, absolutely correct. And um, <clears throat> my confidence was over 100% because <laughs> this was my scenario. Ah, right. At age 65, you are, uh, in essence, forced mm, to sign up for Medicare. Um, even if you're still employed, even if you're not taking Social Security, and you're absolutely right, they send you quarterly premium bills, mm-hmm. and you write checks, and you're covered under Medicare. Um you do have to pay Part B premiums, which if you're uh, still employed and your income's a little higher, are ridiculous. Thank you very much. But, yes, indeed, you may. Uh, you start may. Medicare before you start Social Security. Thank you so yes. much. 610-720-7900. Um, I, I have some interesting um tidbits about deferring social security that i learned in my retirement income class where are tidbits like cheese it's because i really like cheese it no no they're probably not no are they like donut holes yes they're like donut what? holes okay excellent would you like go right ahead me to share a couple oh, please, of donut holes please um 
I had never really heard Social Security described this way, so I thought it was interesting. It's like an inflation-adjusted annuity. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you wait to start your Social Security, you're just <coughs> increasing your guaranteed income in retirement. And people who do that seem to have more satisfaction and worry less because they have this larger guaranteed income stream. Um, If you are going to live a long life, it's better to defer, right? You have a larger payment coming every month. Um, We always say take your Social Security when you need it. But something to think about, betting on a short life expectancy is a bad gamble. Because if you're wrong, you could outlive your money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's also important. By, by the way, if you're right, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to die in about 20 minutes. Oh, he was right. <laughs> okay. Congrats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Where, where do we send the congratulatory card? That's, oh, my goodness. Uh, for about two-thirds of retirees, half of their income, more than half of their income is Social Security. And this was an interesting thought, too. If you were to defer your Social Security a couple years uh, so that you can maximize it, whether it's to full retirement age or till age 70 or somewhere in between, if you take withdrawals from your investment portfolio to bridge the gap until you start your Social Security, most of the time your portfolio will last you longer. Um, mm-hmm. So so you don't have to feel like, oh, if I start taking money out now when I'm only 62, am I going to be in trouble later? If you're only using it to bridge that gap until your Social Security benefits higher and then you take out less from then on, your portfolio actually lasts you longer most of the time. So, most of the time. So those are <sighs> just some cool things to think about. And we, as you know, if you've listened to the show, have – a social security and Medicare expert extraordinaire mm-hmm. on our team who helps us talk through those options and strategies. Um, and so I would just say, don't just start social security right away without thinking about it because it might not be the best solution. Having a plan always better than shooting from the hip. Yes. Always sir. better. Now I'm, I'm going to add a corollary to what you just reported to our audience Uh, You started one of the first phrases you um, used was something along the lines of people who have um, guaranteed inflation-adjusted income are happier in retirement. Yeah. Uh, One of our very, very good friends um, and and a gentleman that that I have a tremendous respect for, uh, Tom Hegna, uh, is considered to be one of the nation's leading experts on retirement. Um, Tom Hegna, Wade Fowl with the American College is, again, one of uh, the country's leading experts. He's been on our show a couple different times, three times, I think. Uh, Tom Hegna a couple times, three times. We've been very lucky to have them. Tom has written books um, who and, and looked at the analysis of happiness in retirement. And there's a direct correlation between guaranteed income, social security or otherwise, and happiness, confidence, peace of mind. Now, where do we look for guaranteed lifetime income other than social security? Pensions. Of course. Annuities. Annuities. Hmm. Pensions, you either do or you don't. 
There's not, hey, we never had one, but now I want one. Right. Um, <laughs> you, you don't get to just yeah, decide that you yeah, want Can one. I retroactively go back 40 years and get a pension? And the answer is not <laughs> likely. So pensions have largely, not completely, of course, school districts and government agencies still provide a lot of pensions. Mm-hmm. But uh, for a very large proportion of Americans, they don't have that option. Everyone has the option of having an annuity. Annuities come in tons of flavors. If you are uh, concerned about running out of money, if you have your Social Security inflation adjusted, if you have annuities, perhaps laddered annuities where one starts and then five years later another kicks in and five years later another kicks in, you could have ever-increasing income that literally you can't outlive. Legally, contractually, you cannot outlive. You cannot outlive your money. That's a fascinating idea. What a lot of folks find, hmm, what a head scratcher. Hmm, I'm not really sure. I want to tie all my money up. Hang on a sec. Who said all your money? Right. You don't have to tie it. You don't have to have to mm-hmm. if if you have a couple hundred thousand bucks and you want to have half of it provide a guaranteed lifetime income, half of it be totally fluid, or vice versa. See, half and half, they would work either way. Yes. Wonton, not now. Okay, (laughs) seriously. Um, Retirees get more satisfaction from income streams they feel entitled to spend. And that's what that is. It's like this is your money to spend and you don't have to worry about it. It's always going to come every month. And if you are taking money out to spend, you might feel a little maybe guilty, worried, apprehensive about that withdrawal and, and using it. I mean, if it's not if it's not or it's beyond a required minimum distribution and you're taking money out of your like savings account, it's like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I, I'm worried about taking this out and spending it. But when it's a paycheck that comes to you to spend and it's not going away, you don't feel that anxiety about it and you, you know, live your life, do what you want to do. Now, the way we've uh, for many, many years described this to folks who are just entering retirement is that we create a scenario where you have the golden goose and the eggs. That's right. If you are eating the golden goose, you are doomed. Because it won't lay any more eggs. It's, it's, <laughs> at the very least, the eggs are going to get smaller and smaller. The goose gets weaker and weaker. And then eventually the goose goes, I'm out of here and assumes room temperature. So bottom line is if you are eating only eggs, ooh, eat them forever. Got to eat them up because January 1st, another batch of eggs are coming. (laughs) So you're going, hey, we're getting this guaranteed, picking a number, 20 grand a year. Uh, You know what? We don't really need that for our expenses. How about two, I'm just picking a number, two $10,000 travel trips a year. A lot of folks would go, oh, that would be great, but it sounds so extravagant. I, what, what if we run out of money? How about if you knew that you're going to get to 20000 a year every year, what you say, hmm, come hell or high water. Mm-hmm. It's going to come through the door. Sounds pretty good. 610-720-7900. We go to the phones we talk to. Stephen. Stephen, good morning. Good morning, Gene. Good morning, Alyssa. Good morning. I enjoy your show immensely. Thank you very much for all your advice. Very Thank good. Thank you. Um, I have a question. Um, since you're on the subject of Social Security and, you know, when to take it, um, one of the most amazing things that, that I that stumped me at the time when I sat down with my uh, financial planner back when I was, um, I used to work at AT&T, which is now the Unemployment Center. Thank you very much. 
all you nitwits in Congress. And okay, we're coming up on a hard break, Stephen, so we got to get to your question. If I have, um, if I if I think I'm going to live to be 88, is it better for me to take the Social Security earlier or later? Yeah, it it's becomes a personal preference at that point. And what we, our guidance is always take it when you need it. If you need it now in order to make yourself comfortable until you're 88 and then roll the dice thereafter, take it right away. If you don't need it, you'll have more income between 70 and 88 uh, than you would uh, otherwise. Mox Nicks, it really mm-hmm. does. It's all driven by your cash flow need. It also depends on if you have a spouse who would outlive you oh very good so if you um if you have a larger benefit to leave behind as a survivor benefit for more years beyond your own personal life expectancy that's a consideration too very good Stephen. thank you so much for the call have a good day thank you you too god bless 610-720-7900 alyssa at askmtm.com gene at askmtm.com we're up on our first break that gives you a chance to um Maybe head down the hallway, you know, if you know what I'm saying. Refill those coffee cups, maybe get an MTM mug in uh, the process. You've given out a fair number of MTM mugs these days. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of folks out there listening that are filling up their MTM mugs. I like it. That's yeah. a beautiful thing. Good for you. Uh, 610-720-7900. We'll take your calls, your emails after this on More Than Money. Welcome back to the home of explanations, mostly explained by Alyssa. Let's just tell you right now. (laughs) Well, now that you got your glasses out, you're going to be more ready to explain things yourself. You needed your glasses. I just couldn't see my explanations clearly. (laughs) Not really clear that that was the issue. Well, if you listen to the lyrics of the song, she says something about seeing your explanations. So. You actually listen to those lyrics? <laughs> I've been playing them for 24 years. I don't know those lyrics. So actually, uh, our final, the, the outro is, uh, I want to thank you, which is perfect because yeah. we always thank our guests and our, our, our audience because they're fantastic. Um, so, email. Thank you, sir. We're going to have to get him longer arms. Uh, you look at that for a second, and the email says, if a person has a traditional IRA account and a rollover IRA account, may they take the total of the RMD required by each account from either account, or do they have to take an RMD from each account? You can do either. You can take either. Either, either. You can take your RMD from your separate accounts, or you can combine them and take it from one. Precisely right. The exception to that rule... It's not an exception because it's not an IRA. If you have a 401k and an IRA, mm-hmm. you have to take separate. 
the the 401k requires you to take the RMD directly from the 401k. Other than that, you can have multiple IRAs. Not unusual. We've got clients. We've we've had clients still do that have three or four or five different IRAs because they opened them at different times, different institutions. Maybe they have a couple that are in annuities. Maybe they have a couple that are in managed funds. Um, mix and match. Mm-hmm. Mix and match. 610-720-7900. We go to the phones and we talk to Dorothy. Dorothy, good morning. Good morning. How may we serve you? I have a question on the 8606 non-deductible IRA form. Okay. Uh, how how can you get rid of that balance, which is taxable, without having to file it every year? Because that's going to outlive me, <laughs> the rate it's going now. Yeah, for a lot of folks listening, they're, they're scratching their heads. They've never even heard of a non-deductible IRA. They were very popular a number of years ago, a fair number of years ago. And then they have kind of fallen away with the advent of the Roth. So a non-deductible IRA literally has two components to it. It has the ability to um, to create tax-deferred income, so that's taxable. And then the non-deductible part, it comes back as, as tax-free. So uh, using simple numbers, I put $10,000 in over time into a non-deductible. That part will come back to me without tax, but it earned $20,000. That part will be taxable. Uh, Dorothy, depending on the balance, if it's a relatively small number and you want to eliminate the problem, you just take the entire balance in one year and it goes away. If it's a larger balance, it's almost you, you kind of have to swallow hard and put up with uh, the year by year reporting. Well, how, how, how can you report that on the form? There's really no place to put that. Do you just add it to the amount of your uh, IRA distribution? That is correct. You got to make sure, though, that you're when you're looking at the, the non-deductible IRA, that you're only reporting the tax-deferred income. You're not reporting the original contribution. Once you do that, you should be fine. Okay. Thank you so much, Dorothy. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. very, as everybody heard there, it's very difficult to answer questions when you keep your radio on in the background. <laughs> very, it's very difficult for you to hear and comprehend. It's very difficult because we're hearing us answer our question in, in time travel. <laughs> I didn't realize Einstein was right. Everything is relative. <laughs> Meet yeah, that was a little um, surreal. Surreal. <laughs> I was hearing myself in the future and in the past. 610-720-7900. I want to make a note about tax reporting. And by the way, just as a reminder, um, we are deep into tax season. Our tax team, our crack tax team, which is not the same as our tax team on crack. That's totally different. Um Actually, it may not be totally yeah, I was, different. I was just yeah, thinking, depend, wait, actually. Depending, <laughs> no, on, no. depending on how late they've been working. Um, <laughs> they are deep into tax season and and literally 12 and 14 hour days and seven days a week. So while we normally answer lots of or pass on lots of questions, uh, tax questions to our team, we are not. We are not passing tax questions on until the end of April now. So if you are... Um, bold, brave, 
courageous, stupid, I mean, bold, send us your tax questions and Alyssa and I will give you <clears throat> answers that we are somewhere between 40 and 60% confident <laughs> that they are correct. Um, but otherwise, uh, consult with your tax advisor or um, AARP ick, um, or other local uh, there's lots of folks that there are lots of organizations that do tax preparation for uh, no charge, especially for senior citizens. Uh, AARP, not my favorite. Sorry, mm -hmm. just not. Um, their political leanings are not my political leanings. Um, before we get too far along, I want to address a question that came from a client. <clears throat> they became a client last year. Okay. He retired, kind of, mm -hmm. kind of fun, actually. They moved to South Carolina, and his company said, see ya. And within just a week or two, they called up and went, hang on a second. You know what? You could probably do your job from down there. Huh. And so he's <laughs> re-employed. Wow. Like, within two weeks. So, and mm -hmm. life is grand, because now he's living in heaven, as far as they're concerned, and um, and and didn't have to leave. Not good but for him. rolled his... 401k into an IRA okay, and got a 1099 from his 401k saying, hey, you got a couple hundred, actually it's close to a million bucks. Mm -hmm. Repo we're going to report that to the IRS. <gasps> hmm. Does that make your, yeah, your eye, your, your, your furrowed brow, mm -hmm. as we say, mm -hmm. does that surprise you? Well, there is a 1099-R sure. that does report that you did a rollover, but it doesn't mean it should be taxable. Ah, so his question is, what does he have to do to make sure it's not taxable? Report it as a rollover when you file your return. And, and because we are not tax experts, we know that's possible. Actually, I know it's possible, and I know how it works. Um, on a 1099R, on the line on your 1040 that says, did you take any distributions? It's actually a two-part line. And the first part says, yeah, I did. How much? A million bucks. How much of it is taxable? Zero. And that's zero. Exactly. If you rolled the entire thing forward, it's zero. So it's the, the IRS has already anticipated this. Will they get a piece of paper from the new custodian saying that they rolled it? The answer is no. The answer is no. Does that, should that worry them? The answer again is no. Uh, all IRA custodians, this surprises a fair number of folks. Uh, all IRA custodians report, watch this. Nicely done. Thank you so much. All IRA re, uh, uh, custodians report to the IRS every year. So the IRS knows exactly what you have in your IRA. They know exactly what your RMD is expected to be. They know exactly where you took money and uh, where it was directed to. So they already have a matching deposit. You took a million bucks out. They have a matching deposit from the rollover custodian for a million bucks, all in your name, all reported in your Social Security number. They have no concern whatsoever. Just make sure that you report it as we just instructed, and you should be in very, very good shape indeed. 610-720-7900. Alyssa at askmtm.com. Gene at askmtm.com. Do you have a question? Yes. Well, I don't have a question, uh. but this person who sent us this email does. 
It says, hi, Jean. I watch your More Than Money segment on public television. I'm hopeful you will be able to explain the perplexing reality concerning the U.S. economy. Why is it that although the unemployment rate is 3.2%, the help wanted signs are everywhere? Where are those unemployed and not counted in the unemployment rate and also not getting jobs? Where are they getting the money to live? It baffles me. I cannot find an answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first I would suggest that you maybe put aside some questions that baffle you and perplex you and really have very little to do with your day by day. Don't worry Uh, about it. (laughs) Don't don't worry. Be happy. (laughs) Exactly. Maybe we should change our bumper music to Don't Worry, Be Happy. That sounds good. Who? Farrell? Was that? Pharrell, 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 Williams? Pharrell Williams is a is a happy is the name of the song. Happy, happy. yeah. Okay, just checking. You got that, John? Just checking. Happy by Pharrell. He um, wants to play it as bumper music. <laughs> so, all right, you're, <clears throat> this young lady is conflating, Another. Pastor Brent, uh, <laughs> conflating two um, disconnected issues. Uh, one is the unemployment rate now approaching 3%, actually reported at 4% for good reason. Um, we're creating millions of jobs. The, just the corrected numbers for November and December were over a million uh, jobs, not the total, the corrections were over a million. So we're, we're creating tremendous numbers of jobs which means of the people who are currently either employable or work looking for work, 4%, 96% are employed. So it, it doesn't leave us with a lot of human beings available. Totally disconnected from that is the number of companies that are looking to hire new people, not necessarily new people because they those are babies and they're not really very useful. Um, but hiring new employees, they are looking um, because they're growing, because the economy is opening back up, because mm-hmm. the pandemic that we a year ago, two years ago, we talked about with hushed tones. Of, Did you get somebody got the COVID? Oh, my God. And now I talk to my clients and I go, how you doing? I haven't talked to you in a couple months. Eh, I'm great. Had the COVID and yeah, rough couple days and I'm fine. Yeah. Dozens, hundreds of people have reported exactly that to me. Mm-hmm. Not unlike three years ago. How you been? Eh, I had the flu for a week. Yeah, mm-hmm. kicked my butt. Now I'm, bu- and and it wasn't. There was no. There was no emotional overtone to it. The economy's opening back up. Jobs are opening back up. Uh, companies want to grow. Um, supply chain issues aside, there's tremendous amounts of work out there. So these two things are totally unrelated. You could have a low unemployment rate and companies not needing to hire anybody. You could have a high unemployment rate and companies still needing to hire people. Disconnected numbers. Um, Has little or no real effect on the day-by-day of anybody out there. So put it to rest. 610-720-7900. We talked to John. John, good morning. Oh, good morning to both ears. Good morning. Morning. Well, I, uh, I called you several times on stock buyback, and I was just wondering if you thought a company like PPL should have a 
lot of been buying back stock and seeing what happened to it in its latest quarter. I think that money could have been used much better to maybe pay a little higher dividend, the one that was cut in half almost. Yeah, company buybacks are a very interesting indicator for investors of either confidence or or not in, in the operation of their own company. So for those of you who have not bumped into this phrase previously, when companies issue stock, uh, often they are purchased by uh, non-employees, non-company executives, the general public. So PPL, millions and millions of shares are owned by you and me, just us. So companies uh, have the ability to own stock, buy back the stock, reduce the number of shares. So, for example, if I have a million shares outstanding of a particular company, I'm running the company and I'm looking at where my best use of my available capital is. I'm looking out there. I don't find any good investments that I'm excited about. I don't think hanging on to money in a holding account is going to pay me an interest worthy of my investment. But I'm looking at my own stock saying, I think our company's great. I think our future is bright. I think what we're going to do as a company is buy back some of that stock, put it in treasury stock and and reduce the number of outstanding shares. Maybe we buy back 100,000 shares and now there's only 900,000 shares out there. The more money we make, split fewer ways, everybody makes more money. One of the choices that they could also make is to take that capital and pay it out in dividends. Uh, utility stocks traditionally pay out a fair amount of their 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 cash flow in dividends um, b- because they have regular cash flow and because it makes them more attractive. Uh, they're not typically growth-oriented stocks. So in order to attract investors, they pay out higher dividends. If the management of the firm believes that a higher dividend is in order would be the best use of the money, that's what they decide to do. If they believe that the dividend is adequate enough to keep their investors on board, but they have what they believe to be better use for the money either immediately or in the future, that's what they will do. And if neither of those things are true and they see a brighter future down the road for the company, they'll do a buyback. So uh, it is, it's a management decision. It's certainly not done by uh, any kind of democratic process of, of vote. Um, but as a shareholder, you're certainly uh, free to share your opinion and your thoughts with management, either at uh, shareholder meetings or through shareholder services, and, and let them know that you, you disagree with their decision making. Uh, but it's an interesting idea, and uh, we really appreciate that you gave that, us that call, John. Thank you so much. Okay, you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. 610-720-7900. Right back to the phones we talked to Al. Al, good morning. Good morning, Gene. Good morning, Alyssa. Hello. Uh, my question is, um, I have a traditional IRA, and I have a 403B, and I know that when I turn 72, I have to make withdrawals from them per regulations. I also have a, an annuity that was bought with, I guess you would call it non-qualified money. Sure. And I think I don't have to make a withdrawal from that when I'm 72. I, I'm i only 65 now, now, by the way. But my question is, when it's time for those those required withdrawals, 
does somebody let me know I have to do it or do I have to do that on my own? It, it's a very fair question. And, and the reality is that the IRS requires custodians to alert IRA holders and in your case, 403B or 401K holders that they have reached the appropriate age. But the announcement, the, the communication is very uneven for some uh, we'll, we'll pick on more than money for a second. For our more than money advisors, it's very obvious because we're in communication with our clients every 90 days or more often. And so the, the discussion of RMDs starts a year or two in advance and then continues right on through. But, but gosh, out we've seen, particularly stock brokerages, they put the alert in their uh, account statement that they sent to somebody in like November in small print on page 14. And a lot of my clients, to be fair, they open the statement. They look at the, did it go up or down? Oh, it went up. Oh, it's good. They put it all back. They don't read the notes. Right. So depending on the firm that you're working with, it's either very, very well communicated or not so good. So thank thank you very much. So I, I I'm pretty hands on. So when it comes, if I'm still here when that time comes, I'm not going to wait for them. I'll I'll react on my own. Thank perfect. you very much. Uh, you're welcome, Al. Take care. Have a good day. You too. Uh, yeah, we've had a couple of scenarios over the years where folks have come in and said we missed our our RMD. Okay. Uh, we didn't even know. Uh, it was our first one. Nobody told us, and then we went back into the paperwork. And found out that mm, they they were told on page fourteen. Oh, what, 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 we why have are a, you g- we have a question. Well, then jump right on. It's it. just like that. Uh, please. It says I messed up pretty big time, <laughs> and I'm hoping you can help save me from the IRS. <laughs> save me from the IRS. Uh, good luck. In 2020, I didn't take my RMD because they said I didn't need to. In 2021, it completely slipped my mind, and my IRA didn't say anything. Until the December statement. Mm. <laughs> I'm lucky I even saw that small print and all. <laughs> you just said this. Now I'm scared and I don't know what to do. My friend said the penalties are awful. How do I fix this and not lose my IRA? And I think what this um, listener or writer is referring to in 2020 was the IRS said you don't need to mm. take your RMDs. It was pandemic related. That, right. right. So so it was like waived. That requirement was waived. It was a special scenario. Right. So now he says it was on his 20, December 2021 statement, but he didn't see it, missed it. What do we do now? Ah, well, there's a couple things. Uh, Number one, take your RMD now. Take it as, now that you're aware, one of the things you don't want to do is put your head in the sand and kind of hope that they don't notice. They're going to notice. As as we discussed earlier, all the custodians report all the transactions all of the time to the IRS. So the IRS has lots of ways to connect the dots. So don't, um, um, what, postpone, mm-hmm. uh, don't delay, um, Monday, take your RMD. And, and that demonstrates to the IRS, yes, you mucked up. But as soon as you found out, as soon as you figured it out, as soon as you got a plan of action, you, you corrected that. Um, indeed, you're going to end up with two RMDs this year. Mm-hmm. That may affect your taxes. It may push you into a higher bracket. It may not. 
Um, but the reality is you're going to report two this year. That's okay. That's absolutely fine. Um, again, it's going to demonstrate to the IRS that your your intentions were were, were appropriate. Next, you're going to report um, to the IRS kind of a mea culpa, mm. Pastor Brent, mea culpa of that's Latin for I'm so sorry, um, and and just write a note. Uh, I messed up. Uh, I apologize. I have corrected it as soon as it came to my attention. Um, I would uh, be ever so grateful if you would not hit me with a 50% penalty. Beg forgiveness. Beg forgiveness. There's uh, folks talk about, well, maybe they won't notice. Please. Oh, please don't do that. That that's just, uh, that's foolishness. Begging forgiveness on the other hand is a pretty reasonable thing to do, especially when it's an innocent mistake. If you are a criminal and you beg forgiveness, oh, please, we're not interested. But if you had made an honest mistake, then these issues are more often than not something that can be addressed. The, the issue that very often affects folks and they're devastated is that they take a uh, they have an extraordinary event in their life. They may have to take a block of money out of their IRA for medical purposes or for some other uh, uh, extraordinary event, and it's added to their taxable income. So they look at their Medicare premium, and it goes through the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, what a lot of folks are not uh, familiar with is that there is a way to ask for a waiver. Mm-hmm. And quite often, if you have a pretty reasonable set of explanations, they're going to give you a waiver. Yep. And and it could be it could be an issue of saving two or three or four thousand bucks a year where I come from. That's real money. That is not a sharp stick in the eye. Not even close. Not even it's close. Not anything it's like not, a sharp stick in the eye. Absolutely. You get special dispensation. Uh, we're coming to the top of the hour. What's happening in our next segment? We will be talking with Keith Stroll. He is an estate planning attorney extraordinaire. Mm. And he's going to explain some things that everyone should make sure that you have and some decisions you need to make about your will, about a power of attorney, about a living will. And all that information is going to make you happy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, nice segue. Nice segue. Very nice indeed. Ah, we're just mixing up a little. I did a tap dance to this song once. I did. Did you really? You look, yeah. You no, I'm not surprised. Yeah. You're a dancer. You like to dance. Yeah, it's a good song. Uh, the tap dance part maybe threw me a curveball oh, a little bit. I'm a tap dancer. Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> ah, we got to take our top of the hour break. Alyssa will be conducting an interview with Keystroll in the next segment. She just found out. <laughs> what? What? Say what? <laughs> oh, my God. 610-720-7900. If you want have questions about estate planning, send them to Alyssa, A-L-Y-S-S-A, at askmtm.com. Gene at askmtm.com. We're back with you after this on More Than Money. Good morning.
morning and welcome back to More Than Money. This is your co-host, Alyssa Young. I'm in the studio with Gene Dickinson. And we're starting the second half of this morning's show. We have a special guest for you during this segment. Uh, on the phone to join us is Keith Stroll. Keith is an estate planning attorney with the firm Steckel and Stop. Their main office is in Sladington, just about, I think, 15 minutes or so from the More Than Money World headquarters. And Keith is the gentleman we talk about often when we say we have an estate planning specialist who joins us in our office and offers free consultations to make sure that your estate plans are in order. So we are blessed to have Keith join us this morning. Good morning, Keith. Good morning, Alyssa, and thanks for that uh, excellent introduction, and thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you. We are um, really grateful for your time and your um, expertise. You're always so helpful to our clients, and we really appreciate that. How's um, how's your family doing this morning? You have basketball this weekend? Uh, no, the season's wrapped up, but we do have our uh, end-of-season party uh, with the team at, at noon today, so Aww. that'll be fun. That's great. The kids always love those special team celebrations. So I've been wanting to call you Coach Keith ever since I found out you coach basketball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. Well, thanks for your time this morning. We'll um, ask you some some questions, and we as we you and I discussed, I thought today it would be really helpful um, to just kind of go over some of the quote-unquote basics, um, even though they're really not basic, they're really essential things. Um, We get a lot of questions, as you know, about more complicated, uh, more specialized topics like trusts and stuff like that. But I think we should save those for another day and really make sure we've got those essential things covered first. And um, we're kind of talking primarily about three documents or sets of documents, right? Um, Let's just dive into it. And what would you tell people, uh, what are those essential things, those essential documents everybody really should have or at least think about having? Yeah, sure. Um, So, I mean, the the first and the the primary thing that almost everybody thinks about when we're talking about estate planning is the will or our last will and testament. And that's going to be your document that, um, you know, what we primarily think of with a will is, that's the document that's going to transfer all of my assets at my death to my heirs, but it can do a whole lot more than that. Um, So, I mean, there can be, um, you know, provisions in there uh, if I have minor children to provide guardians for the minors. Um, It obviously has to um, identify where our assets go and who are, um, primary and backup executors are going to be, uh, and that's the person who's administering our estate. Um, but it can also have, um, for our minor children, trust provisions for disabled uh, children or beneficiaries, trust provisions, and provide a whole lot uh, of other um, provisions or contingencies. Wow. So there's a lot of stuff you can do with a will. You have a lot of flexibility, right, um, on, on all of the, the, the rules that are in place um, that you, you get to decide what those are. Yes, yes. And that's really the, the idea is you're deciding where your assets go and who's in charge and who's taking care of your children as opposed to leaving it up to the default rules. So if we die without a will, the state does have a law called the intestate succession statute, which says where your property goes um, if you fail to make a will. Mm. But some of those defaults are not always, you know, the best or what you would have intended. 
And, I mean, for instance, one problem we run into with a husband and wife is, um, you know, the default statute says your surviving spouse only gets the first 30000 and then half of what's left if you have a parent or a child that also has survived you. So mm. if, for instance, we have one spouse that owns the house, um, for one reason or another, they came into marriage owning it or for credit purposes, they had to be the primary buyer on the mortgage application. Now they die, and now the surviving spouse has to own that part of that house with a child or a parent or some other thing that we wouldn't have intended. So um, those are really, you know, problems we run into where people think, oh, everything's just going to go to my spouse anyway, but the defaults aren't always set up the most logical way. And um, then there's also instances where we don't have children or parents, and, you know, maybe we don't want things to go to our siblings or nieces and nephews who are, you know, the next default in line. Maybe we want to provide for charitable beneficiaries, or we have, you know, adopted children who aren't really technically our lineage, but we want to provide for them, or we have a family friend that is like family, but the law doesn't treat them as family, and we Hmm. want to provide for them so they can be all kinds of things that are outside of the default that you get to decide when you create the will. Okay, so when you make those decisions, and letting instead of letting someone else make them for you um, in a way you might not agree with, that's really important. Yeah. Um, let's yeah. talk about that executor role of a will. Um, so maybe if you can give some people a couple pointers about how to choose who that person is, who who should do that job. And a lot of people who end up becoming the executor are kind of panicky about it because they don't know uh, how to, to do that. So can you give people some guidance on what that role involves and, and how to, um, you know, pr- prepare somebody or, or put you know choose somebody to, to fill that that role? Yeah, sure, sure. So an executor is a fiduciary. So they're uh, the responsible party. And what I usually use as an analogy is an estate is its own entity. So while you, once you've died, anything you own um, goes into that estate. And then the executor is responsible to gather up the assets, value them, get full value for them, determine any creditors, pay the creditors in a certain priority order, uh, pay taxes and other administrative costs, funeral bills, and then whatever you've dictated uh, as far as your beneficiaries, they would distribute the the remainder to those beneficiaries. Um, Now, as a fiduciary, they don't have to have an understanding of how to go through that process. They can consult with attorneys, accountants, advisors to make sure they're following the proper procedures, doing things legally, and and folks like myself who are probate and estate attorneys can prepare all the documents they need because they probably don't have an understanding. Most of executors, it's often the first or second time they've gone through the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and then investment advisors can help make sure that they're managing the money's property, Properly, accountants can help make sure that all of the proper tax returns are filed on a federal and state basis, and they can get all of those uh, assistance from professionals and use the funds of the estate 
to pay for those costs so they don't have to go out of pocket for any of that. You just want to have an executive you trust that's not going to just take the money and run off and do something <laughs> unsavory or, or illegal. Okay. So trustworthiness would be the top priority uh, as far yeah. as the characteristic. Maybe somebody who's organized, I guess, you know, conscientious. That's, that's definitely helpful. And you want to have a, a conversation with them to make sure they're comfortable with the role. And you have to tell them at least a little bit of what you have or where you have the information on your assets because so many times we have executors come in and even if it's a parent that was the one that died uh, a lot of parents don't tell the children what they have and where they have it and just communication with either keeping a list and an inventory of of where your assets your investments are to guide the executor so they're not pulling their hair out mm. looking through all of your documents um, once you've passed and trying to figure it out. Yeah, that's um, it, it's interesting you say that. I had a, a meeting with a woman this week who has now been executor for someone twice, and she came in to meet with me, and she wants to meet with you because she said she wants to make sure she doesn't put anyone in that, you know, predicament where they're scrambling to figure things out and find things and so she went through it as the executor and now she's like i want to make sure that the executor of my estate doesn't have the same struggles i've had (laughs) which is nice of her um i have a question that someone emailed me this morning that's related to the executor role so i'd like to ask you this question now um he's um talking about a friend who has a will and legally prepared powers of attorney which we'll talk about in a couple minutes And it says here, an executor is designated in the will. That person no longer wants to be executor, and he has determined her replacement. Does he have to go back to the lawyer to amend the will, or can he just attach a self-written, signed, and dated memo to the will to make the change? I mean, he should go back to an attorney to get it properly designated, because what we see is when when people try to make amendments to the will, Crossouts, interlineations, anything on the will or attached to the will, there, there can be questions as to interpretation of whether that's legal. Oftentimes, that voids the entire will. Mm. Um, you you want to make sure that th- that gets taken care of properly because the catch twenty two with a will is you only have the written document to rely on, and if there's questions in the interpretation. You have passed, so we don't have you to ask as far as what you intended. Um, and then there can be all kinds of unintended consequences if it's not properly um, prepared and the language isn't clear and concise, and that's where y- your your professionals make sure that that's taken care of legally and properly. So okay. um, there's no headaches by that executor trying to figure it out Mm-hmm. when you're no longer here. Okay, yeah, we want to make sure it's crystal clear. Um, I have one uh, question for you related to um, taking care of children. So you already mentioned that a will should determine if you have children who are minors who would be their guardian. Am I correct that there could be or should be a different role also um, delineated in the will about the person who would be responsible for dispersing funds that would pay for the children's care? Yes. So, I mean, we would, when we have minor children, we would put two roles in the will. One would be the guardian, which is the person that's taking care of the child 
from an, uh, a personal standpoint, from a healthcare standpoint, but um, you also would identify a trustee to manage those assets because if you have any substantial assets going to the child, um, we want them available while they're minors, but we also don't want a child who turns 18 to get control of a couple hundred thousand dollars or more in assets because no 18-year-old is responsible with long-term perspectives and planning in mind, and they have a whole lot of other 18-year-old friends telling them a lot of (laughs) not wise things to do with the money. So all of a sudden, the money disappears before they're 19, and, you know, the, the idea of putting them in a good perspective for their future kind of goes out the window. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the role of the trustee is to take those monies, dole it out for need-based items, you know, education, health, welfare issues, um, and make those determinations. And and that's where the trustee is somebody you trust that has a long-term financial perspective and can be overseeing and guiding that minor even after they turn 18 or 21, until they get to a position where they've learned some life lessons and understand how to manage money with a long-term perspective. Okay. So um, to recap a, a few you know, major points on the will, we talked about name and executor. It doesn't have to be a professional because they'll have professional help. Just make sure it's someone you trust and is organized. A backup to that person a guardian for your kids, a trustee to manage the assets for your kids, and who's going to get what. Those are like yeah. the essential items in a will, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. And and then there can be all kinds of different scenarios. We could go well into the weeds for that. If there's unique situations, we can cover a lot of other things as well in a will. But, I mean, we don't have all day. so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, are, are video wills legal in Pennsylvania? Um. You know what? I honestly don't recall whether um, hmm. a video will is legal in Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, well, we can come back to that sometime. We can, we can <laughs> do it and answer that question later. No problem. I mean, we've done lit- video wills that go along with um, a written will. Okay. But um, the, the, the requirement in Pennsylvania uh, is that it is a writing that is signed and dated by the testator and that it disperses all of your property. And that's the only requirement. Um, video wills, I don't believe, are, are, are legal and binding, but we do use them to go with a written will. If there's any question as to mental capacity um, or we think there's a, a troublemaking beneficiary that may raise questions in the future and try to contest the will. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. So now uh, I want to just, in the interest of time, uh, move on because there's a couple other documents. People, and I think these other two are things people might not really um, think about. Like the will is maybe the most, um, you know, recognized. Um, but one of the things that you always tell our clients is that they need to make sure they also have a power of attorney. So can you explain why? What does that do? And and wh- wh- why do you need it? And um, how do you figure out who should be your power of attorney? Okay, yeah. Um, so a power of attorney is the document that says, while I'm alive, um, who is able to manage my affairs and essentially step in my place if I'm uh, temporarily or permanently 
disabled or incapacitated. So there can be instances, you know, where I get in a severe accident or as we age, dementia, Alzheimer's obviously is becoming more and more common. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when we would have a fiduciary, an agent that's appointed under the power of attorney to be able to pay my bills, manage my affairs, do anything that legally I can do on my behalf um, for either health care or finances. Uh, from the health care standpoint, we also have HIPAA, the health privacy laws that um, the hospitals and uh, agencies and uh, institutions have to follow with regards to who they're allowed to talk to and who they're not allowed to talk to. And this the power, a good power of attorney for healthcare would have HIPAA releases on a default basis. So you would sign those if you go into a, a hospital for an elective treatment. But if there's an emergency where you're ambulatory, you may not be able to sign those because you're unconscious or it's an emergency needing to rush you into surgery. Um, mm-hmm. And these documents allow those people without you signing those releases ahead of time because you've designated. A, an agent for health care for all purposes. Okay. And it also covers things when we cross state boundaries um, for children that may be in, um, in college that are minors, and they would have a severe accident. Uh, so there can be all kinds of situations where we want to have these. And if we don't have a power of attorney and you become incapacitated, especially because it's uh, an immediate event, a heart attack, a stroke, um, uh, an accident. Um, the only way we can put somebody in place if you lose capacity is by going to court and having a guardian appointed and having you declared incapacitated. And, and now somebody else is in charge and making that decision, a judge, a court, as opposed to you picking who you feel is the most appropriate and trustworthy. And that's also got to take time, right? I mean, if you're... Yeah. In the hospital, and now it's like we have to go to court to figure out who's going to take care of your um, decisions and affairs. That's probably not something you want to be spending your time doing in those moments. Yes, there can be rare instances where the court will appoint uh, emergency guardians, but you're talking about a much more extensive process at that point. Um, Guardians, for emergency purposes, only get installed um, when there's a true life-or-death emergency. So. Mm Me not being able to pay the bills, the courts don't see as an emergency. So you're still now dealing with a two or three month lag time to get a guardian in place. Jeez. You're racking up late fees, but the court doesn't see that as an emergency. Okay, so, so. best to best to avoid that situation and get that set up in advance. Um, now, would you say that the qualities of a power of attorney would be similar to the qualities you would look for in an executor? Like, how do you decide who should do that for you? Yes, very much so. So you you just need somebody that's trustworthy. They can, again, uh, consult with advisors and attorneys and accountants and professionals to figure out their role. Um, It's a fiduciary position just like uh, with an executor. So they have a responsibility to act in the best interest of the principal who has appointed them, and there's laws that they have to follow uh, in order to do that. Okay. And you should also figure out a backup for that person too, right? Yes, because first of all, what we've seen in our experience is with wills and powers of attorney, people put off doing them in the first place, Mm -hmm. but then if their primary dies 
or decides they don't want to act in that role anymore or moves away and no longer is available. Mm-hmm. Um, people put that on the back burner as something that isn't an immediate thing. And they don't always consult me or their uh, attorney to make the changes. Now, all of a sudden, there's a sudden event, a death, an incapacity. And if you don't have a backup, now you're stuck with that same default process that we had if we didn't have those documents in the first place. Okay. All right. So we talked about the will being that's something that comes into effect after you die, but the power of attorney is something that you need while you're still alive. And now the living will also is a document that you need for while you're still alive, right? Yeah, living will is something we often you know, recommend putting in place as well, and that is where we're talking about your decisions and what health treatments you would or would not want. If you get into a terminal condition and there is no hope for your recovery, your quality of life is just being on machines or uh, a very painful last few weeks or whatever that may be, and if you want them to stop life-sustaining treatments and only give you comfort care in that instance, you can make those decisions at that time. Uh, We also cover in our living wills anatomical gifts or organ donation Uh, You would appoint a surrogate or a decision maker to follow through with your wishes and make sure that those instructions are implemented. Okay, I didn't realize um, that organ donation would be part of that. If you're already like an organ donor on your driver's license, is it still something you should specify differently or or in any more detail in a living will? Yeah, the, the, the hospitals don't find the driver's license designation as binding. Oh. So they still will require the health agent or the immediate next of kin to sign documents before they would harvest or or, or allow for organ donations to be binding. So just because it's on your driver's license, they still would need an actual document signed uh, or this designation in a living will to make it binding. Okay, good to know. So uh, that's a a lot of stuff that people, if they don't have those things, they're leaving a lot of important decisions to chance or to, you know, some somebody. <laughs> it's maybe not the person that knows them best, right? So for that reason, yeah. would you say, like, everyone should have these documents? I really do feel that everybody should have these documents because it, it affects you in so many ways. Everybody's situation is different, and there is going to be different things they would want in a will for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, you want to at least have the conversation. There may be very few instances where somebody doesn't need a will because they have next to nothing, um, and they won't end up having an estate, or they have more debts than assets. Uh, The 20-year-old that has no assets and a whole lot of college debt, but they still would want a power of attorney um, because if you're incapacitated, you want to have somebody making care, taking care of your health care decisions, and they would probably want to have a living will. Um, if you have strong wishes as far as whether you want to be on life support or not. Um, but each situation is different. So you want to at least have the conversation with your advisor Uh, with your attorney um, to make sure that your needs are covered by these documents. 
Okay. And that's why a lot of people come to speak with you. So we've spoken to yeah. people together with you about, well, I have um, a, a, a daughter who's disabled or I have a daughter who doesn't I don't want to inherit this money now for any number of reasons. So those are those details that we can work through. And we'll have you back on the show um, sometime soon, Keith, and we'll talk about maybe some of those options that we can use to to handle those special circumstances, things like trusts and whether they should be um, irrevocable or revocable trusts and those all of those more complicated uh um, issues. But for now, I think you've really done a great job of helping people understand why they need to make this a priority and get it done. So I thank you for that. Sure. And and I appreciate you having me on. Uh, we're always happy to have you. So I'm going to let you get back to your weekend and have a great basketball party. And okay. I you know, we'll be seeing you in the office soon. Um, thanks again for your time, Keith. No problem. You take care. You too. Well, that was a wonderful resource. Keith is a wonderful resource. He's available to you if you um, need to get going on those documents. You can start out with a one-hour meeting with Keith in our office for free. Uh, you can give us a call and we'll schedule it. Uh, for now, we're going to go to a break. We'll be back for one more segment of More Than Money. Give us a call at 610-720-7900 or email me, Alyssa, at askmtm.com. We do offer explanations. It's more than money. It's Gene Dickinson. It's Alyssa Young. It's Keith Stroll. It's 610-720-7900. Alyssa at AskMTM.com. Gene at AskMTM.com. We offer explanations um, week after week after week. Um, We were teasing earlier about um, 12-syllable words. (laughs) Did you notice how few... 12 syllable words Keith Stroll used? I don't think he used any 12 syllable words. He uh, is such a good communicator of ideas that are not, um, what's the word? Commonplace. Commonplace is a very good word. I was going to say familiar, but not for the average person. These concepts are foreign. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it, it's like referencing a map of a country you've never been to. It's wow, and he makes it very clear. And he doesn't explain them in a foreign language, but precisely. <laughs> yeah, which a lot of uh, yeah. sadly, a lot of attorneys do. And they, it's not because he's not smart. Oh my god, <laughs> he's brilliant. Mm, <laughs> but very, yeah, he very, tra- translating essentially, right? Translating yeah. legalese into English and and concepts that we can all understand and relate to. A very wise man, my dad, uh, 
interestingly enough, in response to a pastor that we had in our church who spoke in Tongues. 12, 12, <laughs> oh, often, yeah, often, because it was English, but you had no idea what the hell you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we walked home from church one day. I was probably 12, 13, 14. And I said, Pop, I didn't understand a word he said. He said, yeah, he's uh, sadly overeducated for his intelligence. What? Mm. What does that mean? Uh, he knows all the words. He just can't communicate with them. Mm-hmm. He said there's no skill in taking something and making it complicated. The skill is taking something complicated and making it simple to understand. Keith has that skill. He sure does. Very impressive. Yeah. Very, very impressive. We're very, very blessed. 610-720-7900. We go to the phones. We talk to Mark. Mark, good morning. Hey, good morning, Gene. How are you guys doing today? Good, real good. How may we serve you? Well, um, question about when to collect Social Security. You know, one of those simple ones. Um, I'm 60. My wife is 58. Um, I'm looking at waiting to 65 just because of the um, medical benefits, of course. So I guess the question is, uh, and I'm, I'm sure it's all depending on how much we have saved and all that, but um, how do the spousal benefits work uh, in terms of if I held off and we just collected hers and used my savings and that type of thing? Because um, I'm wondering, you know, if I, if I delay my retirement, um, I would get a larger sum later on. I think right now I'm about 2200 a month I would get at 65 I think she'll get about 1800 uh, and I'm just wondering how, how that works uh, percentage-wise. Supposedly, you collect off of one, the other one gets a percentage and that type of thing. I don't know how it works. Yeah, the spousal benefit is pretty complicated, but if I understand it correctly, and Jean, you can jump in here if, if I've got it wrong, but I, I actually went through this scenario for a couple um, in conjunction with Mark Basak, our Social Security specialist. The way he explained it to me is the spousal benefit is the difference, half, half, 50% of the difference between your full retirement age benefit and your wife's. So she could get her own full retirement age benefit and then the 50% of the difference between the two of yours as a supplement to her own if yours is higher. But how much of that credit she can get depends on when you both start your benefits and how close to full retirement age she is. So it's a pretty complicated calculation that you have to, you know, look at your actual numbers and your actual ages um, to determine what it should be. Um, But essentially, your decisions to take your benefits are are independent of each other. She could start hers and get whatever her own record is. You could get yours and get whatever your own record is. Um, But then that potential credit factor comes into play based on the ages. So that's something we would always ask Mark to help explain because he knows it best. Then the other consideration is whichever benefit, um, you know, if your benefit is larger than your wife's, if you predecease her, she would collect your larger benefit um, and vice versa um, would be this, you know, true as well. Yeah, Mark, let me circle back for a second. I, if if I remember correctly, you said that your current benefit is 65, roughly 2200 a month? Yeah, and hers would be about 18, so the difference would be 400, so 50% of that is 200. Is that yeah. the yeah, it, it actually does not work that way. The the lower compensated spouse is guaranteed either their own benefit 
or half of the higher compensated spouse's benefit, whichever is higher. Your wife sure. is already well ahead of your of what she would receive as a spousal benefit. It, spousal benefit alone would calculate based on your record eleven hundred dollars. She's at eighteen, so there's no additional bump for a spousal benefit above her eighteen hundred. If the two of you were, re, are are you roughly the same age? I'm about two and a half years older. Okay. So if you were to retire at the same age, which would mean she'd lag two and a half years before she started hers, collectively the two of you would get about 4000 bucks a month at age 65. Again, there'd be right. a lag between your claim and her claim. The longer you push that out, the further you push that out, of course, the higher it's going to go up to maximum of age 70. The fact that both of you have... Um, benefits that are relatively close, relatively close, is going to make you pushing off your benefit to age 70 pretty beneficial to her because at her, at your passing, she gets to choose to keep her own or take survivor. And the higher that you can push yours, the higher the survivor benefit's going to be. Um, Mark, Mark Basak in our office has a very simple uh, rule of thumb. You take your Social Security when you need it. So the longer you can push it off, even month by month, benefits increase not on an annual basis, but on a monthly basis. So the longer you can push it off, the higher you're going to get right up until age 70. So without getting into detail, of course, because I know you don't have time, but I'm wondering um, if I delayed mine and lived off of my 401k and IRAs and that type of thing, um, how do you how do you calculate if that makes sense? Uh, very good. Uh, Alyssa actually referenced exactly that concept in the early uh, part of the show when when she made some comments about her her studies that folks who have a higher uh, lifetime guaranteed income you can use that as a definition for Social Security. They're happier, they're more relaxed, they're more comfortable. So using some of your savings, whether it's 401k or out-of-pocket, to bridge to a higher uh, Social Security is often a really, really good idea. Now, how do you know? We are very fortunate in our More Than Money World headquarters that we have a tool. uh, It's known as Journey Guide, and it allows you in very short order, uh, if you were sitting with Alyssa and Journey Guide, Entering the basic information that the program needs will take 15 or 20 minutes to get the, the baseline in. But then you can ask, uh, make, make that, uh, pose that question directly to Journey Guide. Hey, I'm thinking about taking Social Security at age 65 and using, uh, uh, keeping all my investments intact. And it will run a probability of how successful your retirement is going to be. I think it goes to age 95. Um, yeah, is, you can alter the life expectancy. Ah, so you yeah. can set life expectancy as well. Yeah. And then you can run the exact same question, but now you're going to use some of your investments between 65 and 70 and max out your Social Security. And it will give you, again, a probability of whether you are successful at reaching your life expectancy and you compare the two. Yeah, you can compare the scenarios, the, not only the probability of success, but it'll even forecast what your portfolio value would be um, every year and at the end of your life. So you can, you know, compare and contrast and decide which scenario makes more sense for you. 
Well, every time I call up, you offer me to come in for a sit down. So I'm going to have to take you up on it one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're twisting your arm, twisting your arm. <laughs> well, thank you both. Appreciate the service and uh, always appreciate you uh, uh, being there, Gene. Uh, you're uh, very kind. God bless thanks you. Thanks a lot. Have a wonderful weekend. You too. God bless you, my friend. Very, very kind. Very, very kind. I think, Alyssa, in the short time that you have been uh, co-hosting, you've already picked up on the, um, what's the word, the glow factor from doing radio. The glow factor is, yeah, we get to meet an awful lot of people. It's wonderful. And they come through the door and they feel like old friends and they feel like they know us because they do. Yeah. Uh, we don't know them yet, but they know us. And that's fantastic. Um, you, you got to meet with uh, the, the cousin of one of my clients this week and lovely young lady. I burst in just to be a goof oh, yeah. <laughs> and sh- what a sweetheart mm-hmm. and, and comfortable with us. Cause she has a cousin, husband's cousin. Sadly, he has passed away mm-hmm. who is already confident and comfortable with us and hear the show and spend some time and go, wow. Fantastic. Well, I, if I, you heard us laughing mm. and, and you came in to tell us, keep it down. Hey, put down here. <laughs> hey, trying to run a business. Hey, you're having too much fun in that yeah, conversation. I'm a curmudgeon. <laughs> I felt like Larry David. And that's, that's never going to work. Um, <laughs> bottom line. Yeah. Uh, we laugh a lot in our office actually. So, but the glow factor is Mark's the perfect example. We've not yet met him. And yet he has such kind words and such mm-hmm. warm feelings because we've been able to help. There's a lot of folks we'll never meet. We may never even speak to on the phone or answer an email, but they heard something. Um, share with the audience, you met with some folks from church. Yes. And the result was they're in pretty good shape. Yes. But you indirectly had a really positive impact on them. Yeah, I was happy to hear that. They came in for a second opinion Um they've been working with a financial advisor for a long time. And they said, I think he's done a good job for us. Pretty happy. We talk to him regularly. We meet with him at least once a year. And I was like, well, that's all great. Uh, I said, you're, you feel good about it. He's doing a good job for you. There's no reason to make a change. And then we, we talked about some things and I said, you know, one idea uh, for you here is you told me you have RMDs that you don't spend. You don't need the money. You reinvested. I said, you as we are church friends, I said, I know you give to our church. You could consider using that RMD as a qualified charitable distribution. So it's a way to give that money directly to the church and save you on income taxes. And they said, we did that last year because we read your column in the church newsletter that suggested it. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> I'm so glad that it helped you. And now you could keep that in mind Every year you have that option every year. And I, it made me happy to know that we taught them something and they took advantage of it and um, put them in a better position. Uh, and and until that moment, you had no clue. Right. And there are, I'm guessing, thousands of those stories. We may never know. We may never have that opportunity to um, to get the attaboy. Yeah. Um, but the church benefits. They benefited. Yeah. Um we we got good karma out of the whole deal. The only hmm, IRS didn't benefit. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm okay I with that. I don't care about yeah, that. I'm fairly okay with that. And it's neat to how many people um, listen to the show to think that we might be helping them. Apparently one of my son's football coaches is a regular listener. He told Andrew in the weight room the other day he listens to more than money. So 
He's like, is that your mom? <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, and hopefully right. we've helped him too. Yeah, she looks young enough to be my sister. But yes, that is my mom, <laughs> fella. Yeah. Andrew will square him away. Uh, Andrew, that boy's got skills. That boy's got skills. Um, <laughs> thank you, Mark. Very, very nice. Yes. Um, now, Keith mentioned anatomical gifts. <laughs> I'm still... I'm. I'm <laughs> oh, boy. I'm just wondering yeah. what... Uh, I mean, those, yeah, those would be, you know, organs. And, oh, he wasn't referencing like Anna Kendrick and Scarlett Johansson. No. And Ryan Reynolds. I don't think so. Well, maybe next time so. you can clarify that. With okay. Him, you're not, <laughs> you don't seem that confused. I Maybe, maybe I'm the only one that's confused. Maybe. I think so. I'm, I think everybody else knew what he meant. And they weren't thinking about uh, celebrities. Now, he, here's a question that you will pose to Keith the next time you see him. Okay. Um, by the way, 610-720-7900, Alyssa at AskMTM.com, Gene at AskMTM.com. In 2019, my father-in-law passed away. My husband has five siblings, uh, his one sister being designated the power of attorney per his will. Um, so a will doesn't determine a power of attorney. So already this question is being posed by someone. Hmm. That's a head scratcher. Yeah. Unless do they mean executor? Do they mean executor? Yeah. Because if, if it's power of attorney, powers of attorney die when the, the grantor dies. Right. Hmm. Okay. Uh, moving on. In that time, his sister apparently has shirked her responsibilities, has not pursued or has any interest in closing out the estate. He had his father, his dad had a reverse mortgage, very little assets at the time of his death. The house car had been sitting ever since his passing. My question is, can my husband and my assets or his other siblings assets be in jeopardy because of this? Thank you for your time and expertise. Now, we're not attorneys. We don't even make claim. And, and gosh, when you have Keith Stroll, you don't want to make claim. Right. What would be your guess? My guess would be no beneficiaries are not going to be responsible for the debts of the deceased um you're not um you don't have to pay um his his bills out of your own pocket it's the the estate is a separate entity hmm. so any obligations um come out of the estate but not they don't you know the beneficiaries don't have to to pitch in to cover cover it. Same with the reverse mortgage question. People ask that all the time. If there's a reverse mortgage on a house and when I die, what happens? Do my kids have to pay the loan? No. Um, the answer is no. The, the the loan is backed by the government. So if the sale of the house doesn't cover the loan balance, the government eats the rest. Mm. Um, so I would say, yeah, I'm sure they want to get this taken care of, but I don't think that financially they would be liable for anything. Uh, I would tend to agree. And I'm going to take it one step further. I think there's a fair amount of misunderstanding here. We start with the sister was named power of attorney by the will. Right. That didn't happen. Right. Okay. Um, that's a misunderstanding. It doesn't make this person a bad person. That just means it was a misunderstanding. Right. The second misunderstanding, I believe uh, entails the house. Okay. Because she's saying the house is just sitting there. Um, I can, I, I'm reasonably confident. I wish I, I wish I knew when the next time I was going to see Tiffany should have, so I could ask this question. Um, uh, yeah, shortly. 40 minutes. Is that a bald eagle? 
Yes. A bald eagle sighting in Whitehall. <laughs> um, reverse mortgages upon the death of the homeowner are paid by the sale of the home. Right. It is, my opinion, I think I'm right, highly unlikely that the reverse mortgage company is going, oh, we'll just wait. We'll be over here. You take your time. Um, we're, we're not, we're not in any real hurry. If they know that he died. Oh, and, 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 and that's, that's a very interesting point. I, um, it was three years ago, a long time ago. So he should know by now. Yeah, you would think. Um, but bottom line is highly unlikely Yeah. that a reverse mortgage company would be sitting around going, uh, I guess they're still alive. I don't know. Um, so the house still sitting there. That's a head scratcher. Mm -hmm. The car, who cares? Um, now, her reference that the uh, estate had very little in the way of assets would seem to indicate that they're expecting basically nothing from the estate. Uh, as long as you are um, comfortable getting zero and now are comfortable understanding that you won't owe anything. Mm -hmm. Give it a rest. 610-720-7900. Goes funds. We talked to Stephen. Stephen, good morning. Good morning, Gene. Good morning, Alyssa. Thanks so much for your help. Um, sorry to be a pest, but I have another question for you. Since you're talking about reverse mortgages, um, I just turned 60 recently, and thank God I'm still alive, and I didn't get COVID, and I, but now I'm thinking about moving south, and I was just wondering, can you use money from a reverse mortgage on a property that you own outright, um, it's all paid off um, at this point, can you use those funds to put down on the house you want to buy in Florida, and then when the house appears sells, you pay that off? Good question. We'll answer that for you. Thank you so much. Uh, the answer is um, his... The use of funds from a reverse mortgage are virtually unfettered. As long as the home that is being used for the reverse mortgage is the primary residence, and as long as the property is well-maintained, the taxes are paid, the insurance is kept up to date, the balance of the funds can be used for almost any purpose. So could you... I have a $200,000 house. I get a reverse mortgage for a hundred. Could I take that hundred, put a down payment on a home somewhere else? The answer is sure. Sure. Um, is it then possible that upon the sale of the current home, you pay that off? It's not possible. It's required. When you leave the primary residence, you must then pay off that reverse mortgage, which you would do. That's easy. And then you make the second home. If you are intended to do so, your primary residence, you could go back and get another reverse mortgage. So absolutely possible. Reverse mortgage proceeds can be used for lots and lots and lots of good reasons. We counsel our clients to use good reasons. Mm -hmm. yep. Some folks suggest goofy reasons. We're going to get a reverse mortgage and buy a lot of Bitcoin. Don't do that. Don't do that. Six one zero seven two zero. Actually, uh, phones. We're going to turn those phones off at this point with 
about seven seconds left in this edition of More Than Money. But uh, do not hesitate uh, to send us your emails, gene at askmtm.com, morethanmoneyonline.com, alyssa at askmtm.com. We did get a question early in uh, the show. Gentleman hit a $10,000 jackpot at the casino. Oh, sweet. Sweet indeed. (laughs) He asked for his personal win-loss record. And they did not give it to him. They do not provide that to him. And they they say they have zero accountability uh, and that it does not show. Um, How do I proceed with uh, reporting my winnings if they don't have a record of it? Uh, You report the winnings as $10,000. That's income. Whether you can get a deduction for your losses is up to you and up to you to document it. It's not up to the casino. It's not up to any gambling establishment. Uh, The casino, you may have spent and lost some money there. You may have spent money on lottery tickets and lost money there. Uh, Losses are deductible against winnings up to the limit of the winnings. Mm. Um, But it is not, my understanding, the responsibility of the casino to show your losses. Interesting. It is interesting. But thank you so much for the question. Very interesting question. Um, Great. If you have questions, who doesn't? About all manner of things. We had Keith Stroll on today. We talked a lot about Social Security, Mark Basak. Um, We don't talk often enough about our financial advisors, (laughs) uh, about the fact that we do, as financial advisors, complete second opinion meetings. We'll be doing one here in about a half an hour. Yep. Uh, Complete. um, We do a complete review of your financial Life from an investment standpoint, income tax standpoint, estate planning standpoint, we can help you determine which of our partners you would best benefit from meeting with and also the benefits of having a financial advisor in your corner as well. Um, The initial consultation, that determination of whether you're a good fit, we're a good fit, we take about half of the folks that we talk to. We're not a good fit for everyone and everyone's not a good fit for us. It's absolutely free. You walk away with a ton of information at the very least. I guarantee you that you will have a smile on your face with all that you have learned. Whether it's a good fit or not, you're still going to benefit tremendously. So all you have to do is ask. You can ask by sending Alyssa an email, A-L-Y-S-S-A, at askmtm.com. Gene an email, Gene, G-E-N-E, at askmtm.com. You can go to our website, Listen to a bunch of podcasts, check out our PBS TV shows, our BOC TV shows, and then make your decision. Or you can go old school. You can actually pick up a phone and give us a call. 610-746-7007. 610-746-7007. Folks, thank you so much. You're a blessing in our lives. We hope that we're a blessing in yours as well. We'll see you next week right here on More Than Money. I don't know how you keep on giving.